covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you in to another episode of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today. We've got a lot going on on the program. Our featured guest this week, uh, we are going to have uh, in our social media conversation, Jack Moore is going to join us. He is from uh, BP Milwaukee, Baseball Prospectus. And uh, then in our Down on the Farm segment, we're going to get an update on what's going on with the Carolina Mudcats from their broadcaster, Greg Young. So that's all coming up here in just a little while. This is episode number 22 of the program. These 22 weeks have gone by pretty darn fast, and I mention this uh, most weeks. We look at the numbers, we see that it seems like uh, either more and more people are listening or people are listening more times each. <laughs> either way, we appreciate uh, everybody uh, listening. It means a lot. Feel free to uh, let others know about it. Uh, we're trying to put together the best possible program uh, for you, the Brewers fan, to be able to listen to. And if you've ever got feedback from me, feel free to uh, tweet at me, at Matt Pauley Radio, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio. You can tweet at me uh, just general comments on the podcast, or if uh, you want to continue the conversation about something that uh, we're talking about, feel free to uh, to get in. You know, there's two things that uh, we, we, we go through cycles during the course of a baseball season, and we get locked into these periods where people are asking kind of the same questions over and over. And it's okay. I'm not, I'm not being critical of people. You know, these are the, the conversations that people are having right now if you're a Brewers fan. And there's two things I'm hearing continuously. Question number one, are the Brewers going to go all in to win this year? And I think that's making reference to potential trades. And the other question I get all the time is, why is Josh Hader not in the starting rotation, especially with uh, Jay, uh, Chase Anderson being out for up to two months? And we'll talk more about Chase Anderson in our next segment when we get into our headlines of the week. But I want to address these two questions here for just a moment. And if you've listened to uh, the Brewers Extra Innings uh, postgame show following Brewers games on WTMJ, you've heard a version of what I'm about to say. But it's, it, it's, it certainly is worth repeating. So let's start with the first one. Are the Brewers going to go all in to win? And when I hear the term, when I when I hear it phrased that way, what it generally means, what folks are generally asking, is every year on the trade market, there's a handful of really high-level players that get traded. You know, last year, the Brewers were involved in one of those deals when they trade away Jonathan Lucroy. And obviously, Jeremy Jeffress was part of that deal. They also trade away Will Smith in a deal last year. But are the Brewers going to be on the other side of one of those deals this year? My general thought process is no, they're not. And it has everything to do with what this team is trying to set themselves up as from an organizational standpoint. You know, something we've seen from this team over the years is losing players and not really get anything back for them. Guys who leave via free agency. And yeah, in the system, you can get some draft picks and things like that. But for the most part, these guys walk away because the Brewers can't afford to hold on to them. You know, for every Ryan Braun who signs a long-term deal, there's a bunch of guys who, who move elsewhere. 
And that that was part of the reason Luke Roy was traded last year. There was a pretty good chance he wasn't going to stay with the team long term, and it was an opportunity to get an incredible uh, package of prospects. And you know, even last year, Luke Roy had made it clear to the organization that he wanted to play for a team that was going to win and win now. And it's kind of interesting sidebar on Luke Roy. He could get traded again this year at the trade deadline. It does not sound like uh, the, the the Rangers are going to offer him any sort of long-term extension, which at the time when he got traded, it looked like a match made in heaven. You thought, you know, close to uh, his off-season home in Louisiana that he would end up signing long-term there and it would just work out perfectly, and it has not worked out perfectly for Jonathan Lucroy and the Rangers. It's worked out pretty well for the Brewers when you see how well they are competing this year in addition to the fact that they got all those prospects. But the Brewers want to be in position that when when guys leave, because there's going to be guys who leave. You know, Lewis Brinson has the markings of a star. Six years from now, if the Brewers can't afford Lewis Brinson, if he doesn't want to sign a long-term deal and he were to walk away and he becomes the player we all expect him to become, are they going to have somebody ready to replace him from the minor league system, a player that they have developed. And we, we could say that about anybody. We could say that about Josh Hader, whoever else ends up being in the Brewers' long-term plans. And the idea of what David Stearns is trying to do is equip the Brewers that they can sustain losses, that players can leave the club, and there's going to be somebody there to replace them. When, when they've lost players before, they really haven't had that. So I say all that to say this. No, I don't think they're going to go all in. They're not going to pay the price that it takes to go get one of those top-level uh, tradable players that's out there on the market. It's just it's not worth hurting the future of the club to do that. And this is something that the Brewers fan base is very torn on. I hear it all the time from people that say, good, I don't want them to. I don't want them to mortgage the future. We've been hearing about these prospects. Let it play out. Let these guys develop. Let them get to Milwaukee. And then there's the other group of the fan base that sits there and says, you know, they're prospects. They haven't proven anything. A lot of them are going to flame out. A lot of these guys aren't going to do anything. Go look at any list of top 30 prospects for any given year and then go compare and see how many of those guys actually turn into something. And there's legitimacy to both statements. I would just say this. The Brewers are not going to trade away their top prospects. Now, as we've said, does that mean they're not going to make a deal? Absolutely not. I'm, I'm talking about the top-level prospects in the organization. This team and this organization has put together such an impressive group of prospects that some of those lower-level guys, the, 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 the not-quite-as-highly-regarded prospects who are blocked by multiple players at their position, who are coming up on a period where they either need to be added to the 40-man roster or be made available for the Rule 5, those guys could get traded. And you could you could pick up some folks to, to help out the team. And I also think the period in the month of August, if the Brewers are still a first-place team or still contained, contending in August, there's going to be some guys available that maybe if the Brewers can pick up some salary, they can trade for some waiver kind of guys, uh, guys who pass through uh, waivers. So, yeah, I think they can make some moves. I would actually be assuming they continue to contend, and there's at this point there's no reason to think that they won't. I think we know who they are, 
And I also kind of think we know who the Cubs are. At this point, this is really, in the last couple of weeks, I've started to think that the Cubs are not just going to turn this on, that they kind of are who they are. So assuming that all that stays the same, I would expect the Brewers to make some small moves. But if you think they're going to make a blockbuster move, I think you're going to be very disappointed. The other point is Josh Hader. Because man, there is frustration, there there is absolute frustration from Brewers fans that they've been hearing about Josh Hader for all this time, and he finally gets to the club. And what happens? He's working in the bullpen. He's pitching every three or four days. He's giving you two innings, and then you don't see him for a few more days when he's supposed to be this guy who's got this fantastic arm, who's going to be a starter, who's going to be a top-of-the-rotation starter. Why in the world isn't he in the rotation, especially now that Chase Anderson is out? All very legitimate thoughts on this. My response would be, the Brewers have a plan with Josh Hader. And I think that plan started when they moved him, not out of the starting rotation at Colorado Springs, he was still starting, but he was throwing two innings at a time. And that happened a little bit before he gets called up. I don't know if it's a situation where they're worried about the innings on his arm, and that is something that they're, they're, I'm sure they're worried about. Any young pitcher, you want to be very careful with added innings on their arm. You don't want them to get injured right as they're starting their major league career. And don't forget, the major league season is more than a month longer than the minor league season, and if you're contending for a playoff spot, it can go even deeper than that. So they want to go look, you know, there's there's a formula out there in terms of how much more inning, how much more of an innings load you can put on a player before they get to a higher risk of injury. And, and the Brewers are well aware of that, and I think that probably has a lot to do with why they've started uh why they started at AAA and have continued at the big league level of keeping him limited in those innings where he's just, you know, throwing a couple innings every every few days. That that limits the overall innings, and that allows you to use him deeper into the year. And just because Chase Anderson gets injured, I don't think they're going to change the plan. I really appreciate something about the Brewers is that I, I don't think they do change the plan. I think David Stearns has a plan, and he's going to stick with it. And you know, it's, there's some small changes. You know, we're not talking about the Brewers selling guys off this year. If the Brewers weren't contending, we'd be looking at the roster and saying, okay, who can they sell? Who can they go acquire more prospects? So there's a change in in that sense that they're not going to go sell guys off, but they're also not going to go make uh, these big changes in philosophy. And maybe we'll see Josh Hader as a starter at the end of the year. Maybe we won't. We don't know. David Stearns knows. I bet if you went and talked to him right now and said and got him to be totally 100% honest, I bet he knows if they're going to have Josh Hader start any games this year, or if they're going to wait until next year in spring training to move him into the rotation. Uh, And just because Chase Anderson's going to miss upwards of 10 starts or so if he's out for two months, they're not going to change the plan with somebody like Josh Hader. And they've had a plan with everybody. They had a plan when they called up Orlando Arcia last year. They had a plan when they called up uh, Phillips and and Brinson this year. They've got plans. they got a plan on all these guys. And we just have to wait and see how it's all going to end up playing out. Again, on the program this week, we have a couple great guests. Uh, in just a few minutes, we're set to be joined by Jack Moore. He is a contributor over at BP Milwaukee. We're also going to be joined by Greg Young, the broadcaster for the Carolina Mudcats. But right now, let's go back through the week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. 
There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. It was a busy week as we do get into our Headlines of the Week. Let's start with, uh, we, 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 don't, we don't do the headlines in order of how they happen during the week. We just kind of do them, I'd say, in order of importance, but just kind of the way I happen to choose at any moment. And we'll start with uh, the Brewers uh, All-Star representative, uh, representative. That would be Corey Knable, who during the week, by the way, speaking of a headline, by getting another strikeout, uh, Corey Knable has now set the modern era record for most consecutive games with at least one strikeout. And that number is now sitting at 40 games. He is, and we record this again on Sunday night, he passes up Hall of Famer Bruce Suter to get that. He had previously had the record of most games to start a season. The next game was most overall games, and that's the record Knable gets. And then he becomes an all-star. And what a day it was for him on Sunday. First off, they find out the, uh, the gender of their, uh, of their baby that's going to be coming, him and his, uh, him and his wife. They're going to have a baby girl, and they uh, they did a reveal in a fun way where uh, they they threw something up in the air, and, and Corey Knable had a bat, and he hit it, and it kind of exploded, and it was pink, and that was to show that they were having a girl. So a cool moment there. And in the same day, he finds out he's going to be an all-star. I heard him talking about it, and... You know, he just talked about how it literally was one of the best days of his life and how, you know, nothing better, it couldn't have been a better day. He's going to be a dad to uh, to a little girl, and he's also going to uh, be an all-star. That's a pretty good position to uh, to be in, and that's very cool for Corey Knable. He is the only all-star representative. A lot of people thought, you know, the Brewers are first-place team. They've been a first-place team for the vast majority of the year. They should get more than one all-star you would have liked to have seen more than one All-Star. I don't know where that would have come from. The most obvious name was Travis Shaw. Uh, but he plays at a position that is just loaded. When you think of Nolan Arenado, uh, Anthony Rendon, Chris Bryant, even Jake Lamb. I mean, this is third base is a really, really loaded position. So I don't look. It would have been great for Travis Shaw to be an All-Star. He has put up All-Star caliber numbers, but I don't feel like he was snubbed. You know, Orlando Arcia has really gotten going maybe a little bit too late. Uh, this is a guy who put up just ridiculous numbers over the last few weeks. Through Sunday's action, he's got an average of two eighty eight with eight home runs and 27 RBIs. I don't think anybody saw that. A slugging percentage of .435. Um, this is, uh, it's come out, plus just the incredible defense. You know, if he would have been hitting at that 288 clip for most of the season, then maybe he gets a little bit more uh, all-star mentions. But uh, he, he he's going to be an all-star many times throughout his career, so I'm not too worried. You know, Eric Thames at one point looked like a shoe-in for an all-star, but that average has just come down too much. A 243 hitter uh, through Sunday's action, and you look at the month by months. In May, he hit 221. In June, he hit 163. So after that 345 April, where he hit 11 home runs, the numbers have not been where he needed to be. So Thames isn't really a guy that you can put there. If Chase Anderson would have been healthy, maybe he gets a little bit, a little bit in that conversation. But even him, maybe not. I just don't see it. So I don't feel like, you know, one of the great things about this Brewers team is they're so deep and so many different guys contribute. And, you know, what that results in is a team that maybe doesn't have a lot of all-stars, 
but it's a team that's a first place team and has won more games than most people expected them to win this year. So so that's okay. And uh, they'll you know something could always happen, but that's they're probably going to be just the one All Star uh, futures game though. The Brewers organization gets three players into that. This is the game that uh, highlights some of the pro- top prospects along in baseball. Lewis Brinson and Corey Ray, they're going to play for Team USA. Brinson, uh, member of Colorado Springs, uh, Corey Ray at Carolina, and then Mauricio Dubon, who was just recently called up to AAA Colorado Springs, he's going to be on the world team. It's a Team USA against a uh, world team uh, situation that they do with the uh, with the Futures game. The Futures game is set to take place on Sunday, July 9th, uh, leading into all the All-Star festivities. So that just continues to show you the the great talent in the organization three players from the organization in the futures game that's pretty cool a number of players have been signed internationally. Jesse Sanchez at MLB.com uh, put together a piece about all the Brewers uh, signings, and you can read that, obviously, at MLB.com or Brewers.com if you want to. Uh, the Brewers agreed to a deal with uh, outfitter Larry Ernesto of the Dominican Republic and also Venezuelan outfitter Carlos Rodriguez. I'll read to you from Jesse Sanchez's piece, and again, encourage you to read it at MLB.com says, Ernesto is a toolsy player with an athletic, projectable body. On defense, he has the speed and instincts to play center field and has the potential to become a plus defender. He's expected to develop more arm strength once his body matures. Uh, Rodriguez, he says, has, quote, a chance to be a plus hitter, a plus runner, and a plus center fielder. He is compared to a young Ender Enciarte or a teenaged Gerardo Parra. So that's not bad. That's a that's a pretty good uh, comparison right there. They signed some other international players as well, but those two guys are the headlines because, uh, according to Jesse, 1.8 million and 1.335 million going to uh, Ernesto and Rodriguez respectively. The bad news of the week was about Chase Anderson. He gets hurt swinging a bat, and he's got an oblique strain. Now, he's got a pretty major oblique strain. He's going to be at le- out at least a month, and it might push into two months. And the Brewers are going to, at least for a little while, try to fill his spot in the rotation kind of with a patchwork group of guys. The first start is coming up on Monday, so you might be listening to this after the first start, but the first start is going to go to Brent Suter, and it's going to be a bit of a bullpen day. Uh, they would, uh, well, you know, they'll see how Brent Suter does, and they'll go from there. Don't forget, Brandon Woodruff had been called up to the big leagues. He was supposed to start. Uh, he's still going to be out for a little while as he's injured. But you kind of get the sense that maybe they're just trying to fill that spot in the rotation with a guy here and a guy there until they're able to get uh, Brandon Woodruff back, and maybe he can go into that spot in the rotation or at least be given a chance to do that. So, but Chase Anderson has just been putting up really, really good numbers for the Brewers. It's a bummer that he gets injured. Six and two with a two point eight nine ERA. In the month of June, he was 3-1 and one with a 1.56 ERA. I mean, this was a guy who was putting up big, big, big-time numbers for the Brewers. And again, it's a bummer that he's not going to be able to uh, be with the team, at least for a little while. And you also wonder uh, what what it's going to be, what, who, who he's going to look like when he comes back. Sometimes it takes a little while to get back going. 
A cool moment this week, Corey Hart signs a one-day contract to require retire as a member of the Milwaukee Brewers, and he is also placed on the Brewers' Wall of Honor. Certainly a guy who is a big-time fan favorite, a guy who loved being part of the Milwaukee Brewers organization, and a guy who showed interest, especially as kids get older and everything, showed some interest in being able to rejoin the organization in some, some sort of role going forward, and uh, truly a fan favorite and a cool honor for him. Uh, Adam McAlvey over at uh, MLB.com uh, when writing about it talked about how uh, it was Craig Council who really wanted uh, to have something like the Wall of Honor to be able to, you know, maybe guys who weren't going to be going to the Hall of Fame but had a huge role uh, with the Brewers and how uh, the organization could honor them and Corey Hart is a, a great person for that. And then the most unfortunate news of the week came with a, uh, an idiot fan at Miller Park. Uh, Joe West, the longtime umpire, crew chief for the crew that was uh, umpiring the Brewers Marlins series. He was working the game and he was at the first base position and somebody in the stands pegged him in the back of the head with a souvenir baseball and the game was stopped for seven minutes. They tried to figure out who threw it. They couldn't. They, you know, you can kind of get an idea based off the direction that West was standing and the trajectory that the ball came in at. You could get a general idea of what area of uh, the ballpark that the ball came from. They went, they talked to folks, and nobody would, uh, nobody would snitch. Nobody would say who it was. And unfortunately, there's been a few uh, fan misconduct things at Miller Park this year, and the Brewers fan base is such a spectacular fan base. You hate having that. In fact, encourage you to uh, read at WTMJ.com. Gene Miller, who hosts the uh, the morning show, uh, wrote a, a great piece about the the fan behavior because folks are starting to take note of the Brewers and this team that's playing really well. And you don't want the headline to be umpire hit in the back of the head with a baseball a, fa- a baseball that was thrown by the stands, thrown in the, from the stands. It's just not what you want. And we've had two uh, individuals run onto the field this year, one of which who was naked as the day he was born. Might have had socks on. I can't remember, but uh, only socks if that's uh, if that's what he had. And uh, the, the environment at Miller Park is such a good environment. You just don't want to see these folks who uh, make bad decisions, maybe have a, a few too many Kool-Aids out of the parking lot before the game, uh, make bad decisions. A little disappointed, actually a lot disappointed, that the fans in the area of where the ball came from would not rat out whoever threw the baseball. That's I know it doesn't feel good to be a quote-unquote snitch, but that person deserved to be snitched on, and uh, that's just kind of the way uh, the way things go. But uh, that was an unfortunate thing that happened this past week at Miller Park. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue. It is time for our social media conversation. Very happy to uh, welcome in a contributor to uh, BP Milwaukee. First time he's joining us on the program, and we're very happy to be able to uh, have him. It is uh, Jack Moore. Jack, appreciate you taking some time. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Uh, let's start with kind of the news of the day. We uh, record this on Sunday nights. The all-star rosters are announced. The Brewers get uh, one guy. They get Corey Knebel, who's very deserving. I think the fan base was hoping Travis Shaw would get in, but that's a that's a tough position at third base when you look at uh, some of the production from some of the other third basemen in the National League. What's your initial feeling about uh, the, the single representative from a first-place Brewers team? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really hard to say that there's anybody else who got super snubbed here. Uh, Shaw has been great, of course, but when you look at the talent at third base, he hasn't been better than Anthony Rendon, he hasn't been better than Nolan Arenado, he hasn't been better than Chris Bryant. And so, obviously, Knable has been amazing. Uh, the strikeouts that he's racking up, the low ERA he's been producing, and of course, the fact that he's been able to take over in the closer role after the failure that was Neftali Feliz's time in that role. Uh, well-deserved on his part. Uh, but really, what's, what has put this team in first place, uh, apart from the Cubs being far worse than everybody expected this year, is that it's been contributions from a really deep roster of good players as opposed to a really top-heavy roster full uh, with a few stars and a bunch of scrubs. So I think, I think that's just it kind of speaks to the way that the Brewers have been winning. Once Ryan Braun got back this past week, I don't know how many times Craig Council talked about the fact that there's not a single guy on that group of position players that he doesn't feel comfortable starting. You can put together literally any lineup you could possibly figure out on any given night, and he feels pretty darn comfortable with it. What does it say about this team? I mean, you think back to, to last year, some of the guys who were on this team, whether it was a Flores or a Presley, and you know Nick Franklin this year never really got going. What does it say that they've been able to put together the group of position players that they have right now? I think it's really remarkable because I think when you know when I was looking at this team before the season started, I thought there was a case to be made for basically everybody on the roster that they could have a good season, but I didn't think you know it's one of those things where you can look at the roster and imagine a best case scenario and see them doing well, but then that voice in your head, the voice of reason, starts to say, well, there's no way that they can all hit their you know, even even their 50th percentile level, much less their 70th percentile level or their 90th percentile level, you know, when you're talking about uh, a projected system like Dakota at baseball perspectives, right? It'll spit out the average line and it'll also give you, um, you know, best case scenarios, the 90th percentile, worst case scenarios, the 10th percentile. And you're seeing, like, almost everybody on this disaster, uh, basically except for Jonathan VR. He's been the main the main disappointment, but almost everybody else has been performing above their 50th percentile level, which is just, it's just wild. And it speaks to, it speaks to the front office's ability to identify, uh, undervalued talent for one it speaks to the ability of the coaches to bring out the best in all of these guys. And uh, obviously it speaks to the talent of the players that they brought in. It's funny to ask this question on, on July 2nd because I think by this far in the season the answer should be yes, but uh, it's still worth asking. The you know Playing at those certain percentiles, is that something that you think is going to be uh, still sustainable throughout the course of this year? Yeah, I do. I think, I think the question for the Brewers going forward isn't whether or not they can continue to play at the level that they're at. It's not like – I don't think it's that, that – out of the question, even looking at their roster going forward, that they'd be around 500 at the All-Star break and that, that they could play around 500 baseball the rest of the way. 
I think the thing that's more iffy is are the Cubs and the Cardinals going to continue to play at the below average, below percentiles, you know, below their 50th percentile, like they're having the exact opposite problem that the Brewers are. Uh, and I think that's the bigger question for the Brewers because despite, you know, the season where so many things have gone right, they are only two games up on the Cubs and three games up on the Cardinals. I would argue, and I, I look at this somewhat through, you know, Brewers colored glasses because I watch the team on an everyday basis. To me, the Cubs aren't the team that they were last year, and there there are obvious flaws, and we'll see what they do moving towards the trade deadline, but that starting rotation isn't as good. There's not as many good guys in the clubhouse, you know, not having Ross around, and the fact of the impact he might make. Uh, I, You know, people are saying that the Cubs are this are, are a huge surprise, and I guess they are from, from a pure talent standpoint, but they are not the same team that they were last year. Would you agree with that? I mean, it's it's pretty apparent. It's not like the Cubs have gone 41-41 and 41 over the first half while, um, you know, outscoring their opponents at a ridiculous level. The Brewers are also in front of them on run differential, which is the biggest, uh, I would I would say it's probably the best um, context-free piece of data that we have to determine a team's, uh, a team's expected performance going forward. Like, you know, if you don't have the information about the players on the roster, if all you're given are wins and losses and run differential, you look at run differential, that's that's what I would look at. Um, so, yeah, it's not like the Cubs are just, you know, getting unlucky, losing a bunch of close games and blowing teams out on the other days. It, they just haven't been performing at the level that you'd expect, given, uh, you know, guys like Jake Arrieta, who used to be a Cy Young candidate now with an ERA over four, that kind of stuff. We are continuing to talk with uh, Jack Moore. He's part of a baseball prospectus, BP Milwaukee, here on Brewers uh, Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. This uh, th- They make a bit of a move over the course of the last week in bringing in uh, Stephen Vogt. You wrote about that uh, recently at uh, BP Milwaukee. What was Obviously, so far, he's had a pretty positive impact on this team. What's your feeling on what he can bring to this club? Yeah, I was really surprised that he was able to slip through waivers all the way to the Brewers because, I mean, I know that vote is, he's 32, not exactly like the best body out there. Um, had been slipping since 2016, not, not like it was just a couple bad months by any means, but still, this is a guy who has been, who had been for a little more than two years one of the better hitting catchers in the league. And when you have a chance to bring in somebody with that track record, and all you have to do is shell out a couple million dollars for the rest of their contract. It, it just seems like such an obvious bet for a team like the Brewers to try and make when catcher was probably their weakest position, too, uh, given the struggles that Jeff Bandy was going through. So, yeah, it's very possible that Vote will continue to play at the, you know, that Vote's two home run game this week was a fluke and that he'll continue to play at the sub replacement level that he was with the A's before the waiver claim. But, when you get a chance to bring in a guy who's shown that kind of level before, you have to do it. And I think even if he performs somewhere in between where he was when he was an all-star with the A's and where he was when he was um, just not performing up to par earlier this year, that would still be a great get for the Brewers. And also, it's so low risk because Manny, Manny Pena has been playing so well. You don't need both to be an everyday guy. What does he do, do you think? And I know we're having you on, and BP Milwaukee really focuses in on numbers and everything, but uh, the 
he brings more than just the the raw numbers. This is a guy who's pretty darn good in the clubhouse and was already a good clubhouse, but he, he can't hurt. You know, having a veteran guy who's been on some winning teams who plays the position the way he plays it. There's beyond what he does on the field. Isn't there some some value to having him on that team? Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there is, and it's not like Vote was playing on like a playoff dynasty by any means. He he didn't really. He didn't really do anything with the Rays when he was on that team, and the A's were on and off during his time. But but still, just the fact that he has participated in a playoff race, I'm sure will be exceptionally valuable for guys like uh, Domingo Santana, say, and like um, Orlando Arcia, uh, guys like that, uh, because it's gonna the pressure is really gonna mount when we get into August and September if the Brewers are still at the top of this division and. You know, I kind of think back to that 2007 club that started out so hot and ended up kind of collapsing down the stretch as the Cubs overtook them to the playoff spot. And you could tell that the inexperience with the moment, so to speak, was a big deal. And, I mean, the first priority has to be talent when you're trying to win. Uh, I would rather have raw talent than veteran presence that can't play. But just being able to have a guy that can be a rock, yeah, I mean, there's, there's... Let's just put it this way. I don't, I don't think there's a whole lot of definitive proof that it's going to help, but it definitely can hurt. The number one question I've been getting on my post-game shows recently is, what uh, what are the Brewers going to do? Are they going to go all in? Are they going to go try to make a big trade? And I think anybody who follows this team and really knows what's going on, I, I think it's safe to say they're not going to be in the trade market for one of those top-tier players. They're not going to uh, give away what it requires to get one of those guys. But there is a chance for some smaller moves. What, As we get closer and closer to that July 31st trade deadline, what would you like to see the Brewers do in terms of uh, shoring up the roster via trade? Um, I really think, as far as position players go, the Brewers are in a really excellent spot. Um, the versatility of guy, uh, a guy like Hernan Perez, who hits for excellent power and can play pretty much all over the all over the field, that really makes it so that the Brewers don't have to worry about shoring up their position players too much. I think I really think all they need to do is get maybe one half decent reliever, and if they can do that. They have such a treasure trove of prospects right now that they've been hoarding ever since David Stearns took over. Half the reason that you do that is so when you start contending, you have uh, some surplus players in your minor league system that you can afford to trade in a uh, in a deal for a reliever. You know, a deal that may not look that great if you're just going to look at you know dollars per win above replacement or surplus value in that sort of sense. But it's all about maximizing not just um, that, that sort of raw surplus value, but it's also about making it matter when you get it. And so Brewers right now, they have so many good minor league talents that they are going to be a little redundant at a couple positions, and they're going to be able to afford to make a trade for a reliever that might not look that great in a vacuum. But in context, you know, uh, the Brewers really need to have a guy that they can count on in the sixth, seventh inning. They don't have a rotation that's full of guys that are going to guarantee you seven strong innings every day. They have guys that are going to give you, you know, five or six good ones, but you you really don't want to ex- overextend a lot of these guys too much. If they can just get one or two more uh, relievers that they can count on to get three outs, I think it would make a huge difference down the stretch. 
Junior Guerra struggled again on Sunday, and uh, the numbers show that his uh, fastball velocity is down and down significantly. His four-seamer averaged less than 90 miles per hour uh, on, on Sunday's game. His location is off. Uh, he finally got that split finger working a little bit and got some strikeouts on Sunday, but overall doesn't look good. I saw some stuff uh, on Twitter as well showing the uh, his delivery and how he's uh, at a lower point in, in his arm when he's releasing the ball. What's your takeaway on him and if he has much of a chance of getting back to who he was last year? The release point stuff is interesting because that kind of – a visible flow like that kind of gives you some hope that there are the mechanical changes that he can make to correct. But at the same time, um, the thing that worries me, even more than the fastball velocity, he hasn't really been able to throw a sinker for strikes. And what he needs to be able to do is have that, have that option of being able to throw the sinker right around the bottom of the strike zone that makes the splitter that just that much more powerful. Because you need to oh, do I need to swing at that pitch that looks like it might be at the bottom of the strike zone? If the, if he's not able to get strikes there, the splitter isn't going to matter. And I think that's the big thing that we're going to need to watch for going forward. The fact that, the fact that his splitter is still drawing so many swing strikes, I think is a sign that we shouldn't give up on, uh, on Guerra. But uh, I also think that now that, pit, now that hitters have an idea of what his plan of attack is. They've had all this film from last year to be able to study for so long. I do think it is unlikely that he gets back to the level that he was last year. I think what we're looking at is probably going to be somewhere in between if he can just get those mechanical issues straightened out. Josh Hader's going to be in the rotation at some point. If it's going to be this year, who knows? Uh, I'm, they have a plan with him. The plan started when they start having him throw just a couple innings at AAA, and then he eventually comes up, and he's been working out of the bullpen. He's had good results so far, but I hear from fans all the time, Hader's got to be in the rotation. Hader's got to be in the rotation, especially now that uh, Chase Anderson's out for probably a couple months. Do you like what they're doing right now with Hader, getting his feet wet and, and letting him be a big part of the bullpen, even though he can't pitch every day? or are you on the side that this guy needs to be starting and starting soon? Um, I, I trust the uh, the player development side's uh, plan as far as this kind of stuff goes. I think it would be really even more annoying if the Brewers were doing something where they just threw him into their rotation right away and then come September they're like, oh, we have to start bringing our hands about an innings limit or something like that. I think the approach that they're taking where they're going to ease into it uh, works a lot better because if indeed it turns out that the Brewers desperately need another hand in the rotation, if uh, Chase Anderson turns out to be out for longer than expected, for example, or Junior Guerra you know, never quite uh, figures out what's going on, then you have the option of throwing Hader into the rotation and using him through September. Um, you know, he was only... He hasn't really thrown more than, I think, looking at his stat sheet right now, doesn't look like he's thrown more than 140 innings in a season. And he's already at 61 this year. And so you're really only looking at another 80, maybe 100 innings max for the rest of the year. And I think by, by keeping it slow and easing Hader in, there's a better chance that you'll have him available for the really important games down the stretch in August and September. 
I had your colleague uh, Nicholas Zettel on last week, and even though you didn't write it, there was an interesting uh, piece recently over at BP Milwaukee uh, about the the ball being juiced maybe this year. And this is something that uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. even in the last week, uh, it seems like more mainstream media starting to to pick up on this. Where do you stand? Do you think uh, do you think the ball's different this year? Oh man, from from the pieces that I've read, both that one and um, other stuff from Ben Lindbergh, a former baseball prospectus, uh, a baseball prospectus alumnus, uh, there's a lot of really compelling evidence to say that yeah, it is. And what I think is really, really interesting about this is that there have been uh, scandals about the ball being juiced for for literally hundreds over a hundred years. Um, this is this is something that happens constantly in baseball, and what I find so weird about it is I think that people would have been just fine if, say, three years ago when offense was way down, if Major League Baseball had just said, you know what, we're going to make the ball a little easier to hit because we want more offense. That that kind of stuff has happened throughout baseball history all the time. Little rules, little rule changes have been made to either increase or decrease offense to levels that. You know, they think are best for the game. You think of, uh, you know, it doesn't always work. You think of moves like in 1968, they rose the mound, and then you had the year where the average ERA was 2.98, and Bob Gibson set the ERA record with the 1.12, and it was just, it was a total disaster because pitchers were just dominating. Um, and, you know, maybe they'll end up finding the same thing this year. Uh, the ball was too juiced. We got to walk it back. There are too many home runs. This isn't good for the game. But what I think is so ridiculous about it is that Major League Baseball keeps trying to act like they don't know what's going on. And, you know, maybe they really don't. And that's even scarier, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Um, but I think that fans would be receptive to a change. You just have to tell them about it. Uh, baseball fans are, are are going to create conspiracy theory like this if you let us. We, we love that kind of stuff. So, it, it, and the direct answer to the question, yeah, it definitely seems like the ball is juice. But I also don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I just wish they'd tell us about it. Yeah, I agree. I agree totally. All right, uh, are, are you working on anything uh, right now in terms of uh, your next piece for uh, BP Milwaukee? Uh, nothing in the pipeline yet. Just gonna, really going to be watching, especially as July goes on, going to be watching for transactions. This is this is big-time transaction analysis season. I have a feeling that the Brewers are going to do something over the next couple of weeks that is going to give me some inspiration. So. I have no doubt that there will be plenty to talk about. You can uh, read Jack over at uh, BP Milwaukee. Follow him on Twitter at JH underscore Moore. Jack, uh, great to get you uh, on the podcast. Thanks so much for taking some time, and hopefully we can get you on again soon. Yeah, glad we were able to make it happen. Thanks for having me on. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue on as we go down on the farm. And we're very happy to welcome back onto the program the uh, broadcaster for the Carolina Mudcats, the high A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. That is uh, Greg Young. Greg, appreciate you taking some time. How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. How are you? I'm doing all right. And, uh, we're, uh, we're coming up on the All-Star break for the Brewers. The Carolina League has already had theirs, and I actually want to start you off with something uh, about that. I want to go back a few weeks with you uh, as Jake Gatewood 
won the All-Star uh, Hitting Challenge, the Home Run Derby that the Carolina League does. How impressive was it, the kind of performance he was able to put together right there? You know, I wasn't there, but uh, we, we sent a few folks out from our staff to, to go see it, and from all accounts, it was uh, pretty incredible. Matter of fact, uh, Jake said it was the most exciting home run derby that he's ever been a part of. Um, the way that they had it set up is that each round was timed, so there was a, a, a limit on uh, it was a three-minute limit, I think it was, for each round. But if you hit a home run, I think in the final 30 seconds, and you gained, or the final 10 seconds, and you gained an extra 30 seconds to your round to then hit as many as you possibly could at extra 30 and then that would count towards your, your total in each round that you win in and, of course, into the finals. So Jake Breezes went through, I think, to the first one. Uh, to the second round, he was matched up against uh, the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, Chicago Cubs' top prospect, Eloy Jimenez. He was the guy that, I don't know if you saw it or not, the video of the ball hitting the light. Uh, he kind of went the natural on it uh, <laughs> to the left and, and busted out a light there high above the left field wall. But uh, Gatewood got, got past him in that second round and eventually in the finals. And he, I just talked to him about this a couple days ago, actually. And he said that, that he got to the final round and he was running out of time. And he's trying to hit as many home runs as he possibly can. And he had, I think it was 13 in the first round, 13 in the second round. He needed to get to, uh, I think it was 14 to beat, or 14 to, to, to win the, the second round, or maybe it was 15. But uh, he got there at the very end and he was almost there, but he was running out of time. And within like the very last second or two, he hit one more, which gave him the bonus round. And that allowed him enough time to get a couple more home runs and eventually win it. So he said it was like a buzzer beater. He said it was the most amazing home run derby that he's ever been a part of. Do you think winning something like that and being on that kind of stage, even as a young player coming up, do, what does that do for a I mean, we're talking about a home run derby. We're not talking about winning a championship. We're not talking about you know doing something inside of a game. But can, can winning something like that, can, can that do something for a young player? Yeah, I think so, absolutely. You know, and, and for him in particular, um, I will tell you that um, you know, I've been around this game now for a little while, and, and, and for a 21-year-old, he's the most mature 21-year-old, uh, 21-year-old I've ever met. And uh, he has a, a very good idea of, um, I think, what it means to, to win something like that. First and foremost, it's fun, right? So that's the biggest thing, and that's what this team likes to do. They like to have fun, and when they're winning, they're obviously having more fun. But uh, the more enjoyable that they, that they seem to uh uh, the more enjoyment they find in the game, it seems like the more and more success they have and the more they win. Um, but I think more than anything for him, um, you know, it's it's just about building those memories and building off of positive moments and then taking that into whatever, whatever is next. He he finished the home run derby telling a local reporter there that uh, he, he really wanted to get into the cage soon, not that particular night because he was exhausted, but <laughs> to get back into the, the, the hitting cage just to work on his opposite, opposite field approach because he was worried about not... Uh, keeping his swing and the plan that he had coming into this year, not maintaining that following the derby, worried that maybe that the home run swing would, uh, the, the home run derby swing would interfere with his work remaining for the, the remainder of the year. So he was worried about his opposite field approach. The very next game, the first game of the second half, his first hit was a home run to right field. He went the other way. So he was, uh, he was pretty excited about that. But I think that's where he's at mentally, is that he knows that that's just one thing to add into the notch of all the great things that he's done to this point in the year and uh, just trying to build off of something that's, that's positive, and then that's what he's doing with that and trying to carry it over now to the second half. This is kind of a weird time of year. The Brewers have started promoting some players from one level to another. That started maybe about a month ago or so. You just had the draft, and at times uh, that pushes guys up, and it also, you know, guys who see uh, see people who play the same position getting drafted, it can kind of put them on, on notice to a, to a certain extent. Is there any... 
any mentality change or do you notice anything this time of the year, whether it's guys, you know, hoping to get that call up or, or being worried about who might be coming up behind them? No, I don't, uh, not really. Um, you know, I would say that uh, just the, the general chatter is more excitement about who they got in the draft, who the Brewers got, who now is joining the system. I think everybody has an idea of, you know, of, of who they are. Obviously, everybody's, you know, they've they got a chance to, to make it one day, and, and that's the way that they take it. You know, everybody talks about prospects. There's some prospects that, it, you know, it's nice to have those lists going into the year, and, and it's good to, for the fans and, and for those covering the sport an idea of, you know, who are the guys, you know, who are the ones that maybe will have a faster track than others. But for the most part, they're all there with the same opportunity. Uh, they're all given that, that same chance to make it, and they know that it's up to them to make that happen. And I think they're excited for anyone else that's given that opportunity. Uh, they know, I'm sure all of them know, that, you know, some are going to get there, some aren't. But, uh, you know, it's about winning together in the time that you have and, and trying to get better with the folks that are either new or, have been in the system ahead of you before and, and, and work with those guys and continue to get better, learn from them, maybe learn from the new guys as well and, and use that as motivation to continue to work harder. But I'd say the general chatter just around the guys is that they're excited about what the Brewers got in the draft and uh, they're interested in seeing what, what, what is next as far as who a future teammate is concerned and, and, and obviously rooting for the guys around them to, to get to the next level and rooting for themselves as well to, to try and continue to put in the work and, and, and make things happen for themselves as well. We're talking a good day because uh, we're talking on Sunday night and earlier on Sunday, the Mudcats get a 14-10 win over Winston-Salem and the three home runs in the game for the Mudcats are hit by three people I want to talk about in uh, Lucas Harrison, Monte Harrison, and, and Asan Diaz. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, and start with Harrison. I know we've talked about him before and he's somebody that fans really started being interested in uh, during uh, during spring training. Uh, in the month of June, he hits 326, two home runs, to, uh, 20 RBIs. I mean, this is a guy who hit 220 and 213 between April and May. What clicked in for him in the month of June? He said that it's it's getting back to the mentality that he had in spring training, trying to get back to those swing thoughts, to uh, just that overall approach, uh, just getting back to, to where he was when the season began. And, and when the season began, he was as locked in as anybody. You know, he was hitting the ball as well as Gatewood, and Gatewood obviously got out to the incredible start there early on. They're really the best two hitters on the team. Uh, he all of a sudden though came up with a flu. I think maybe part of that might have been adjusting to the North Carolina uh, climate a little bit. I know that for you personally, coming from the West Coast, it was tough to get used to. Uh, but uh, you know, he, he would miss a couple of games because of that. And after that, he he really kind of came out slow. It seemed like he was kind of just sapped uh, uh, of power. And then suddenly uh, in June, he started to put together more and more line drive swings. Uh, then started driving the ball, especially these last few weeks. Uh, the home run that he hit today was absolutely crushed. Uh, he's He's got something going on right now where in the first inning, he's hit now, I think, four home runs this year in the first eight total. He's hitting like 4-4-4 in the first inning. Part of maybe some of the success here lately is that he's he's moved up in the lineup. When he saw Diaz started to struggle a little bit, uh, Ersig slid into the, the third spot in the lineup, hitting ahead of Jake Gatewood, so Gatewood now protecting him in the lineup. Uh, that, I think, has helped as well. Uh, and then also maybe a little bit of coming off of him not hitting cleanup anymore because that's where he started when the season began. You know, and when Gatewood got real hot like about middle of May is when uh, they moved him into the into the four spot in the lineup. So manager Awal trying to go with what works best, maybe what's best for the guys, just you know, as far as where they are in the lineup, taking pressure off some, putting others in, in, in other situations to succeed. And Ersic is his I think just kind of taken off, uh, moving up to three ahead of Gatewood, and then. 
uh, get would continue to do his thing, and, and uh, Diaz beginning to define his stroke again, batting in that five or, or six spot, depending on, on where Monte Harrison is. You mentioned Hassan Diaz and the struggles, the home run that he hits on Sunday. That's his first home run, I believe, since uh, since May 31st. He went the entire month of June mm-hmm. without uh, without going deep, and the average numbers were, were pretty rough in June as well. He hits 129. You could be hopeful they'll come mm-hmm. out of it. So far, July has treated him quite well as he's, uh, he's five for six in the two games. But uh, what happened with Diaz in the month? You know, I... I don't know, honestly. I mean, I, I think for a little while early on in the year, it was just hitting into a lot of bad luck. I think he would kind of agree with that, too. But um, he just, he, he was swinging and missing more. Uh, it, it seemed like he, he was kind of guessing a bit more, too. His approach changed a little bit. Um, I, I think he once he really started to notice it numbers-wise for himself personally, I think he started to, to kind of press a little bit, uh, maybe put too much pressure on himself. But uh it, uh, it it was it was a lot of swings and misses. It was a lot of soft contact. But I think what um, that month was it was a struggle. But these last few games, I mean, he has looked like his old self. And granted, it's only two. But um, the, the big thing was that on Saturday night, he came in off the bench. He did not start that game. Came in off the bench in the uh, eighth inning with the team down by one. It was five four. They had been down five nothing in the second earlier in the game. He came in with the bases loaded as a pinch hitter off the bench and delivered a two-run single to give the Mudcats lead at 6-5, and that's what they would go on to win by. That's the biggest comeback win of the year for him. And I, I think moments like that are ones that, you know, folks paying attention to his year and, and wanting to, to kind of track his success, his success, his circle on the calendar. That's the spot, I think, that is going to be a, a sign of, of things to come, that, that that's the turning point. I mean, it, it was something that I, I think it relieved a lot of pressure off of him, knowing that he could deliver in a pressure spot. And that uh, you know he could help his team when they needed it most, and he, he certainly did that. He also, I, I think, is is at a point I think mentally where he's accepted the fact that June is done and it's time for a new month, and that you know he's taking this opportunity now and in regard to the season uh, to kind of show that he could handle adversity. You know, I think he still believes very firmly that that he's a big leader, that he's got the capability to do that, uh, to, 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 to succeed at the big league level when he gets there one day. And uh, he's very confident in his ability. I don't think his confidence has slipped at all. And I think he wants to show now that, uh, you know, he, he can handle uh, going through the tough times and that he can still come out on the, on the good end when it's all said and done when the season is over. We're talking with Greg Young, the broadcaster of the Carolina Mudcats. Uh, Monte Harrison was at, with Wisconsin in 63 games. He hits 11 home runs. He gets the call up so far. He's appeared in uh, eight games with the Mudcats. 242, two home runs, four RBIs. What's your uh, what's your early feeling about uh, him and his approach against uh, Carolina league pitching? I, uh, you know, it's good. You know, I, I don't think that he's you know, maybe made too many adjustments compared to what he saw in low A. I haven't had a chance to talk to him a whole lot just yet, um, but I, I plan on hopefully catching up with him at, at length maybe tomorrow before the uh, the, the big July 3rd game that, as we record this here on Sunday night. But, um, you know, I, I, I think he uh, is, is still kind of, um, you know, looking for the swing again, just trying to define it after the All-Star break. You know, sometimes guys come out a little bit cold, but, you know, I think he found it a little bit here today. He had a big game in, in Bowie's Creek recently where he was able to rattle off three hits. Um, you know, I, I think he is wanting to show everyone that he belongs at this level. Uh, his swings have been uh, incredibly, incredibly hard. That That's the thing, first and foremost, that you notice about him. His bat speed is incredible. And uh, so far, I think he's blown up like three or four bats in these last three games. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe just a bit of bad luck as far as not putting together the huge numbers just yet. But impressive home run today. 
the guy that plays a, a great center field, he has an incredible arm. He showed that off uh, in Bowie's Creek recently, and I think that kind of lingered late in that game. The Astros, I think after seeing him unload with a good throw, in a situation where he didn't need to, it was just an opportunity to, to show it off a little bit just to let them know what he was working with there. And uh, ended up helping later because they decided not to run on him late in the game. Uh, rather than try and tag and score from third, they left the guy there because I think they knew that that arm is not something that you want to mess with. So, uh, you know, he's, he's uh, I think, still kind of looking to, to figure it out a little bit. It, it is an adjustment moving up from low A to the high A. Pitchers obviously are a little bit more dialed in here. So it's a little bit less stuff than you'd see in low A, a little bit more command. And that continues on as you continue to move up in the system. So it's a good challenge for him to, to try and get there. And, and um, you know, I, I think today was a, and certainly not just today, but going past the back to the past couple of games, a good sign that he's going to get there here very soon. Last position player to ask you about, Corey Ray. There's a lot of focus on him because of his draft position from last year. And this is a guy who's been placed aggressively with uh, joining a full-season team as soon as he was drafted last year. He's pretty much just you know past the, the one-year mark as a, as a pro ball player. But uh, he's still not quite, I think, where a lot of people would like him to be. He had a pretty good month of May, took a bit of a step back uh, in, the month of, uh, in the month of June. What's your takeaway just on the, on the maturation and the development of Corey Ray? Well, you know, like you mentioned, it, you know, he, he jumped straight up the high A last year. It, that's a, a big challenge, you know, and, and he was certainly up to the task and, and began to find success with it, I think, later on in the year when you look at the numbers. Um, you know, and, and, and this year, like you said, that, that month of May was a good one for him, certainly. He was a Carolina League All-Star this year and, and, and much deserving uh, of, of that particular honor. He'll be in the Futures game as well uh, and very much deserving of that. I think that for him not having the opportunity to play, say, at the rookie level or low A or what have you, and kind of go through the very beginning of a pro career and in, in, in your ability to utilize all fields, uh, to really hone in your ability and, and, and begin to find what works for you and build a rhythm there. I think not having that may, may be part of the reason why maybe the numbers aren't where they, they should be yet. Um, I talked to him about the, the Futures game a couple days ago and then about his approach here to this season. For me, and watching him, it, it looked to me that he was making a, a, a very strong effort to try and make sure that he was hitting the ball the other way and that he was utilizing all parts of the field. Uh, the, he's obviously had, I think, the four home runs this year. Uh, he's pulled those. He's hit the ball with authority well to the gap in right center. Uh, he said that early on in the year, for him, what he was trying to do uh, was he was trying to utilize the middle of the field. That was the first and foremost thing that he was working on. Now he's attempting to try and hit the ball the other way with authority. And I think when you are trying to do something very specific like that, to focus on hitting the ball up the middle or the other way, rather than simply just take what is given to you and put on the best swing possible, when you're attempting, I think, to do something specific like that, uh, I think you end up working yourself into, into jams maybe at the plate working yourself into, into uh, pitchers' counts, obviously. Counts are more favorable to them and less favorable for you. Uh, and I think that's where the strikeout numbers begin to go up. And you mentioned that, too, that you know, it, for him, he's, he's working on that, that approach, trying to get the ball with authority the other way. And he's, that once he's, he said at least that once he's able to kind of begin to dial that in, maybe then to kind of uh, more for him, he thinks the strikeout numbers will go down and therefore the numbers overall will, will begin to go up. But um, again, I think he's, he's, he's working on becoming a better pro, you know, a better baseball player, a more all-around baseball player, especially at the plate. And uh, I, I don't know that by doing that, you should then expect to see the numbers be incredibly great across the board. I, I think he's still very young in his career, obviously. Like you said, he's only now a year at the advanced day level and all between the two seasons coming out of the draft last year. So still trying to, to maybe learn a little bit 
And once I think that he begins to kind of free himself up and begins to learn those lessons and, and, and gets through them, I think you'll see those numbers skyrocket quickly. Jumping over to the pitching side as we continue to talk with uh, Greg Young, the broadcaster of the Carolina Mudcats. Cody Ponce, it seems like every night when I'm looking at the box scores, he's going out, he's throwing you know six, seven innings, he's giving up two or three runs. I mean, this guy's just a model of consistency for the most part. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's a strike thrower. You know, he obviously doesn't walk many at all. He's in the top five in this league in lowest walks per nine. Uh, he's always around the zone. He pitches well to contact. He's had a couple of starts, and when he had just kind of a little bit of that hiccup before the all-star break there, um, early on in games, there were some plays that weren't made behind them, not necessarily errors, but just, you know, fly balls that got beyond guys or they were in the wrong position, couldn't get to them, and that kind of thing. So uh, it ended up being that, you know, some of his first innings early on uh, uh, in those games, in those starts, there maybe in, in, in late May, uh, kind of got away from him early, had to work his pitch count up real high in those first couple of uh, frames maybe and ended up not going as deep as he looked like. But he's a workhorse. He's incredibly consistent. Again, he's always throwing strikes. He's always battling. Uh, you know, he's 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 not a guy that, that's going to put himself in, in harm's way necessarily. You know, he's, he's not going to unload that wild pitch that allows, you know, a team to, to really get something going. He's going to force them to, to do what he wants them to do that's, Either to go on strikes, obviously, or or did they hit it to a guy and and, and hit into an out? So, uh, you know, it, he's uh, yeah, like you said, incredibly consistent. And um, you know, right now he's he's a guy that I think they look to in, in the rotation to, to be the leader to to really try and if, if they need a stop a streak or what have you, or they really need to get that start that eats up some frames to, to save the bullpen a little bit. He's that guy. He's he's. He's he's the go-to guy right now, and I think he knows that, and I think he he enjoys that, and he looks forward to succeeding in it and eventually getting to the next level. La Brewers fans took note of Trey Supak when he was pitching with the Timber Rattlers. He gets called up, had a little bit of a tough beginning of his tenure with the Mudcats, but his last time out was his best start, went six innings, giving up two runs on on five hits. I know you never want to make too much of one start, but do you get the sense maybe that something uh, clicked in for him? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, the thing with him is it, in each one of those starts that he has had, and, and, and the numbers, obviously, like you said, maybe not exactly where they, they, they we would like them to be, uh, fans and, and what have you, but uh, in those starts, he had innings where you could see the stuff. The curveball looks great. Uh, fastball is overpowering. He locates it well most of the time. Uh, he's given up a lot of home runs at this level. You know, he's left some pitches up. This it, 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 this is It's a jump. You know, low A and high is not as similar, I think, as people would like to think sometimes. Uh, sometimes I think people take it for granted that it's kind of an interchangeable move, and it's not. You know, the hitters here are, are more advanced. Obviously, they're better. That's why they're here. The pitching is better too. All around, the game is better. Um, but uh, you know, for him, I, I think just missing some locations from time to time. Guys run into it. He throws hard, so they're they're going to hit home runs because of that. If you miss sometimes, and, and that's what's happened to him. But that last start, he was able to, to keep the ball down a little bit more, a little bit more consistently. Had a better job. In, a better job of finding that out pitch, I think, and controlling that curveball and working off of it. But, uh, the stuff has been great. Uh, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, staying out of harm's way, kind of, you know, and uh, learning the league a little bit more, uh, you know, maintaining that focus early on in games. He had one start, I think, in Myrtle Beach. He had a, a rough first inning, gave up a home run early. Then after that, he was lights out. So um, it's just a matter of, of building off the success that he gets in, in, in those innings when they come and uh, not letting one get away and just continuing to build that. All right, last guy to ask you about, and it's uh, it's another top 30 prospect pitcher, uh, Marcos Diplon. He's uh, The numbers make it look like that maybe he's still kind of searching. Would that be a correct thing to say? 
that maybe, um, you know, and, and, and I, I, I need to catch up with, with Dishing Crusade to find out a little bit more about what he thinks about what DuPont's doing right now. But uh, kind of the same situation as Shupak. I mean, the stuff is fantastic. The hard slider, the, the fastball, all of it. Um, but he, he has run into some big hits. Um, you know, things snowballed him a little bit. The control it maybe has been an issue, too. Uh, but, uh, you know, as far as stuff is concerned, it's it's fantastic, you know. And, and, and one thing, too, about him and about Shupak and about Cody Medeiros and Jordan Yamamoto, uh, these are the, the youngest starters in this league. I mean, I, I think the Mudcats in the, in the rotation, and, and depending on who's starting in particular or following who and what have you in the tandem role, but uh, for the most part, as far as your, their starters are concerned and the regular guys there, you know, it's for the, the top ten youngest pitchers in the league are going on a night-in, night-out basis. You know, possibly the only exception, but um, you know these guys are, are very young and they're, and they're still learning. It's true for the whole team. I mean, this is the youngest team in the league, and uh, it's it's they're going to go through the ups and downs and, and what have you, and, and the learning curves. And I know that for Deplon, this is his second, uh, well, I guess year in, in advanced days. He finished the year uh, there last year, but you know, I, I, I think he's beginning to uh, to to try to, to begin to find a little bit of a groove. He found it a little bit in his last start. Uh, just ran into some trouble early, but right after that, he was just lights out. So just same thing with him and, 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 and Shupak. It's just finding that, that rhythm early and, and building off the success and, and, and not letting those big innings get away from them. And part of that is just, you know, growing in as a pitcher and, and, and learning how to pitch and, and continuing to build from there. I've heard from some Brewers fans that uh, they've made summer plans. Maybe some have already gone, but summer plans to uh, head down to uh, Zebulon and uh, check out uh, Five County Stadium. For Brewers fans who want to check out the Mudcats, uh, talk to me a little bit about the experience and uh, what they can do when they head down. You know, it, 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 the great thing about this place is that, um, you know, it, it, it's it's really it, it's fan-friendly, obviously, but the players are really accessible. So if you're looking to, you know, catch up with some of the guys, it's really easy to find them. The, the clubhouse is, you know, a little bit of a walk there for them down the left field line, so it's a chance to catch them and grab their attention before they, they, they disappear for the day. But, um, you know, it's a lot of fun in that regard. There was a family actually that came out today and was here the whole weekend. Uh, uh, the, one of the kids I, I, uh, threw out the first pitch, uh, they came up and said hi here in the booth, and I always welcome that if fans get a chance. They we're always happy to, to give them the tour as well if they're interested. It's a really unique ballpark. It blew me away the first time that I walked in here. How big it is! It's 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 just incredible. Um, you know, it's uh, it seats sixty five hundred, but it's just it's, it's huge. I mean, standing room only, you could put nine thousand place easy, but uh, it's it's a mark set here. Um, you know, we, we, we try and do the best we can as far as the on-field entertainment is concerned. And I think it's one of the funner experiences for fans, uh, in this league and any other league that I've ever been around. You know, we put on as good a show as anybody. And, uh, we have a, an 82 foot wide video board here, which is one of the biggest amount of league baseball. And when the music is playing here, people are up there dancing and everything. It, it, it turns into a huge party at this place. And, uh, this is definitely a ballpark where, you know, you'll, you'll never forget your experience here. It's one of those things where just, Fun is what it's all about, and uh, you know we also got some great baseball here, especially with this team. It's it's an incredible group. They do some amazing things. You never know what you're going to see night in, night out, and uh, you know the, the same is true whether it be with the players or just the on-field stuff with the fun, entertainment, and what have you. It's uh, it's a good time. All the details about the team and stadium and everything available CarolinaMudcats.com. Greg, if somebody wants to check out uh, your broadcast, what's the best way to go get it? You can find us on our website, carolinamudcats.com. If you're a, a, on a tune-in radio, just search for Carolina Mudcats Baseball Network. You can find us there. And then, obviously, you can watch us online as well at, uh, at mylb.tv.
All right, great stuff. Thanks so much for your time, and uh, we'll catch up again later on in the season. All right, Matt. Thank you. That was Greg Young. Appreciate him taking some time with us to talk all things Carolina Mudcats uh, baseball as uh, he is the uh, broadcaster, does a great job with those broadcasts, and has been cool. I've heard from a number of Brewers fans, especially with the first year that the Brewers are um, are in Carolina, in Zebulon, that they go out and, and check out uh, the Mudcats and everything. It looks like just a fantastic ballpark. The Brewers really are lucky to have some great cities and great situations for affiliates. Even AAA Colorado Springs, which isn't a great baseball environment. As someone who lived in Colorado Springs for six years, I can tell you, it's a great city. It's a great city to visit. You can go check out uh, the baseball and also uh, enjoy some time in the city. It's a great summer destination. You know the, the What they've got going on uh, in Bel- Biloxi. Biloxi's a great town and uh, being right there on the MGM uh, resort uh, as the backdrop if you stay there that's uh, that's great and then of course uh, Carolina not to not to mention you can uh, you can head to Appleton and spend some time there even if you uh, live in the Milwaukee area or if you're a Brewers fan from out of town you know you come into Wisconsin you you time it out right that you spend some time at Miller Park and you also spend some time up at uh, Fox City Stadium for uh, to check out the the timber rattlers so really some great scenarios and some great travel situations uh for the brewers minor league affiliates if you do want to check them out uh that is going to uh, just about wrap up the program as we always do let's take a look at the schedule again we record this on sunday night generally they don't play monday afternoon games uh so some of what we said might end up being outdated by the time uh you are listening to it but nonetheless this is the schedule for the upcoming week for the brewers They are going to begin with a 4th of July early week series against the Baltimore Orioles. The game on Monday the 3rd begins at 1-10. Then on 4th of July, uh, that is a 3-10 first pitch. And then they'll play at 6-10 on the 5th of July. That is notable, by the way, because that your ticket might say that that game on the 5th is 7-10. Ignore the time on the ticket. Uh, instead, look at, uh, or just listen to what I'm saying. That was moved up to 6-10. That's because on Thursday the 6th, they have to play that one single game in Chicago to make up for the non-rain rainout. So they moved the game up on Wednesday an hour just to give them an extra hour on the backside to be able to get in and get ready for that series against the Cubs. And then they will wrap up the uh, pre-All-Star break portion of the year by playing a three-game series in New York against the Yankees. On Friday the 7th, they will play at 6 o'clock. And then on Saturday and Sunday, the 8th and 9th, they'll have uh, 12.05 games. Of course, you can hear all the action on WTMJ. Do you want to say thank you to my guest? Had some great guests today. Had some fun conversations as uh, we were uh, joined uh, first in our social media conversation by Jack Moore from BP Milwaukee and then just had Greg Young, the broadcaster for the Carolina Mudcats. We will do a first half recap, even though it's not technically the first half of the season. We look at the All-Star break as being uh, the halfway point of the year. So we will do a first half recap coming up uh, next week on the program and uh, get you set for the All-Star break. Enjoy your 4th of July holiday. It's kind of with the 4th of July being on a Tuesday, a lot of people are taking kind of a four-day weekend. Uh, whatever you do, be safe, enjoy yourself, and I look forward to talking to you next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Don't forget, we're powered by WTMJ Mobile. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. 
Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.